5. Romans chapter 5, and this morning we're going to cover verses 1 through 11. And it's in a really incredible study today, in all honesty. Um, you know, going through the book of Romans up to this point, uh, I've expressed to you the fact that this is one book that, man, I do not want to mess up on. This is one book especially that you want to rightly divide you know, so that God's people really understand what uh, salvation they have. You know, up to this point, we've seen that the whole world is guilty, guilty, guilty. But now we see, we saw starting last week, really, that Christians are not guilty. And that's an amazing thing. You know, sometimes I, I know we don't realize how rich we are as Christians. And so today's study, I think, is in a word of encouragement to really teach you some things that are written here in God's word. And we're going to discover 11 verses. We're going to see seven things here that as Christians we have been blessed with. But man, we're not even going to be able to, you know, dig all the way to the bottom here. There is so much that we have as Christians. Because look what it says here in verse 1 of Romans 5. It says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have, as Christians, been justified by faith. And as a result of that, the Bible says we have peace with God. You know, if you're here today and you're a bona fide, blood-bought believer in Jesus Christ, then the Bible says you are justified. That means that God looks at you just as if you've never sinned. We need to know that. You know, my daughter Ariel, it's so cool. She's uh, 15 years old now, and she's, uh, you know, praying about starting a band, and she's got her friends with her. And, you know, uh, the name of their band, you know, to be is uh, called Justified. And so I was asking her about this. I said, sweetheart, do you know what, what that means? Because that's the name of your band. And so you're supposed to know what it means, right? And so we were talking a little bit about that. And, uh, and I wonder sometimes if Christians know what that means. Because you are justified. That's the name of maybe not your band, but that's the name of what God has done for you. You are justified. That means in God's sight, you are declared legally righteous. That you are not guilty. That God sees you now just as if you'd never sinned. And so as a result of that, look what Paul says in verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have, notice it says, number one, peace with God. We're going to look at seven things this morning, and I pray that God would encourage you in this. But number one, we need to know as Christians that we have peace with God. Thomas Kempis said this, All men desire peace, but very few desire those things that make for peace. The whole world wants peace, but unfortunately the whole world doesn't submit their life to Jesus Christ. Those who have yielded their life to Christ, they have peace with God. That's what the Bible said. You know, peace is something that is pursued by most people, whether it's planetary peace, patriotic peace, personal peace. But please understand, you guys, the most important piece of all is that one that is incomparably and infinitely important in God's eyes. And that is what we're reading of here this morning, something that's been accomplished through the cross of Jesus Christ, and that is the peace with God. And so now we need to know this, and it's very important that we understand this. God is not against us. The Bible says that God is for us. At one time we were his enemy, now we're his ally. At one time we were his foe, now we're his friend. 
We have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have peace with God. You know, I think a lot of times Christians forget that and they walk around thinking that God is after them, that God is against them. And that's not what the Bible teaches. It reminds me of a story I read uh, a while back about the last imperial Japanese soldier who decades after the war still thought that the war was going on. I don't know if you guys heard about this guy, but he was actually found in 1972. And he was found on a South Sea island. He was living in complete isolation. And he hadn't heard that the war was over. And so there he was, still building fortifications, ready to hold off the American invasion. And, you know, he was going through that whole life when all along he could have been enjoying the fact that the war was over. And yet, here's the way it works for us as Christians, I think, a lot of times. It's amazing how many of us, we do the same thing, you know, and we're like, oh, I hope the Lord doesn't come down on me for this or get mad at me for that. We think he's upset with us all the time. We even think like this guy, I better hide in the jungle from God. When in all reality, as Christians, we need to understand the great salvation we have in the blood of Jesus Christ that we now have peace with God. And we really need to let that penetrate our hearts. Horatius Boner, he sang this song. He said, Not all my prayers, nor sight, nor tears, can ease my awful load. Thy work alone, O Christ, can ease this weight of sin. Thy blood alone, O Lamb of God, can give me peace within. Because we've been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, number one, you need to know you have peace with God. That's what the Bible teaches. Second thing we see in our study today is that we as Christians stand in the grace of God. Look again at verse 1. It says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Sometimes my son, he's so funny, my son Aaron, he's a growing teenager, you know. I don't know if you guys have teenagers, but um, they can eat huh? pretty good, huh? It's amazing. And sometimes my son Aaron will say, Dad, there's nothing to eat. And, you know, the refrigerator is full, the cupboards are full. I mean, there is tons of food to eat. And I think sometimes we as Christians, we walk around thinking like there's nothing for us, that there's nothing going for us, just like my son Aaron does with the food. And when in all reality, there is everything for us. We are so rich. We have so much to be thankful for. We have peace with God. And we stand in the grace of God. And that's what we read here in verse 2. Now, it's kind of interesting. And again, like I was sharing with you guys, I don't want to get this wrong. And so I, you know, I really, really looked into this. And the thing that we see here in verse 2 is that grace is not necessarily what we normally think it of. Uh, it is, you know, normally God's free unmerited favor is that grace that we define it that way. His undeserved, unsolicited, unconditional love. But here it's a little bit different. It's not so much his quality of graciousness as it is the sphere of God's grace. Or as one version puts it, our privileged position of acceptance by him. You know, we can define grace as God's unmerited favor. 
And we can define it as this undeserved, unsolicited, and unconditional love. True. But here we need to understand what we really see Paul sharing with us is that we have not only received this grace, we stand in this grace. And I don't know if that really hits home with you guys, but it needs to. You need to know how rich you are. You need to know what God has done for you. You know, the next video, the next slide right here has a picture of a place. I don't know if you guys have ever been there, but uh, I think it's over. I was at Tennessee Graceland. Have you guys heard of this place? 500 to 600,000 people go there every single year. You know, they say that Elvis Presley was the king of rock and roll. I don't know if that's true or not, you know, but I do know this, that Jesus Christ is the king of kings and that Jesus Christ has the true Graceland. You see that right there? It's just a temporary thing. It's the second most visited place other than the White House. But for us, we live in Graceland. We have peace with God. We have this access to the grace of God. We're in which we stand. This interesting, the word access right here is a real interesting word. It has a couple of uh, meanings. Number one, it's formally uh, something that takes place in our lives. It's a formality. You know, the word access, which sometimes suggests that we take the initiative to enter, would actually be better translated introduction, which basically acknowledges our unfitness to enter and our need for someone to bring us in. You see, the Greek word right here has a certain formality about it. And the way that it works is like this, and we need to know this. This is what the salvation we've been given We need to know that the grace we have is this place that we stand. And it's a way in which God takes us kind of like into the temple to worship him or kind of like into the palace to stand and live with the king. That's what the word access is. It's not just like, okay, you have an open door that you can go in once in a while. That's not what this is speaking about. This is speaking about the place that we live. It's a formality. It's a constancy. And that's what we see in looking at this right here. Justified believers enjoy a blessing far greater than a periodic approach to God or an occasional audience with the king. You see, we are privileged to live in the temple and live in the palace. That's where you live. You live in the Graceland. Not occasional, but constant. Not from time to time, but all the time. Yeah, but Manny, what about when I blow it? You still live there. What about when this happens or that happens or I get bummed out or this happens that I don't really understand? You still live in Graceland. That's that place of God's unconditional love, undeserved mercy. His goodness is always upon your life. Why? Because you've been justified by faith in Jesus Christ. You're no longer a foe. You're a friend. You're no longer an enemy. You're an ally. This is the great salvation that we have as Christians. You know, it's really amazing. We stay. We stand always in the grace of God. As Christians, number one, we have peace with God. As Christians, number two, we stand in the grace of God. And then number three, as Christians, we look forward to the glory of God. Because look what it says there in verse two. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace 
in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You know, one of the things that will happen, you guys, as you're living your life, I know we're busy. I know we've got a lot of things going on. And I was talking to my kids about this because you know how it is with parents and kids. You lecture them all the time, huh? <laughs> it's funny, you know, because you just want so much for them and you're you know, trying to wake them up and saying, hey, you know, are you living for the Lord? I know you're busy, but man, watch the busyness. And are you praying? Are you reading? Are you seeking the Lord? You know, and so I was talking to them about this the other day and I was saying, listen, you know, if you know the peace of God and you know that you live in the grace of God, when you're there in this grace land, when you're there in this grace, you want to know what's going to happen? You're going to start thinking differently. You are going to start thinking about the glory of God. The glory of God. Right here it says here in verse 2, rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, for the Christian, hope is a real strong word. The word hope is not like us. We think hope like, oh, I hope it's going to be a good day, you know, in the weather. Or we hope that we don't get sick. Or, you know, I hope that UCLA wins the next basketball game or whatever it is, you know. But with Christians, hope is different. It's a certain expectation. It's not a questionable thing. It's regarding the future that my future is certain. It's a certain expectation that God will bring to pass. And right here, he speaks specifically about the glory of God. John Stott said this, Christian hope is not uncertain like our ordinary everyday hopes. It's a joyful and confident expectation which rests on the promise of God as we saw in the case of Abraham. And so we're hoping, notice what it says there again in verse 2, rejoice in, notice it says, hope of the glory of God. Now, what does it mean, the glory of God? What's he speaking about right there? Well, at least three things come to mind. Number one, we are rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God in the return of the Son of God. It's so cool when you look at that. You read in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, it says, Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so when we're living that life and we're living in the peace of God and we're living in the grace land, we're going to think of the things that are ahead. And one of the things that is just next at the door is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself will appear with great power and glory. Do you believe that? Do you know that? Do you understand that that might happen today? Are you living in the light of that truth? If not, then we're not really living the life as a Christian the way God wants us to, with the peace and the grace and the glory. See, we need to live life understanding that today might be the day. That changes your life. It really does. We might die. Christ might come. It's a cutting-edge Christianity that changes our life. When it speaks of the glory of God, number one, it speaks of the appearing of Jesus. Number two, it speaks of our own glorification, believe it or not. You know, one day, your bodies are going to be changed. And that's, that's just an awesome truth. For some of you here, you're thinking, man, you know what? Um, I could really use a new body, man. <laughs> You know, you got things going on. And, you know, I wonder what color. We were talking about this the other night with my kids. Last night we were talking, well, how old are you going to be in heaven, Dad? I don't know. 30, 33 probably, maybe 18. I don't know. We'll be different ages. You know what? I don't know. 
But I do know this, that one day this body will be changed. Colossians chapter 3, verse 4 says, When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him, notice, in glory. In glory. And we start living our life in light of these things. You know, right now, I know you guys, we take care of our body. We pamper our body. You know, we try to keep everything up and tight. But believe me, eventually it falls, no matter what you do. And we need to know that, you guys. And, you know, the Bible says bodily exercise that profits a little. But godliness, that body that we're going to have one day. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 14, the Bible says that Jesus is going to prepare a mansion for us. Now, we don't know for sure what that means. I doubt it if it means your, you know, individual house that you're going to live in. A lot of people believe it, it might even refer to the body that you're going to dwell in. We don't know for sure. But if that's the case, that's pretty amazing, you guys. See, when we live life as a Christian, we need to know, number one, the peace of God. That we are no longer enemies, we are allies. That we are no longer foes, but we are friends. That he's not out to get us. That the war is over. We need to know, number two, the grace of God. That we live, we stand in Graceland. Number three, we need to know the glory of God. That Jesus is coming, that we will be changing, and one day the whole creation, as a matter of fact, will be glorified. Colossians chapter 3 verse 4 talks about us being changed. But then if you look over to Romans chapter 8 verse 21, it says, Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And so when you're reading Romans and you're wondering, well, what does all this mean? It's so cool to be able to dig in a little bit and to see really what God is talking about. Today, he's giving us a list of seven things. I don't know if it's an exhaustive list, but of seven things that we can just be blown away in because of the fact that we're justified. Look what we read next. Look at verse 3. It says, not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. So we're rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God, but Paul says, while you're there rejoicing in that, I also want you to rejoice in some other things. Rejoice in the hard times that you're going through, Because, number four, we are being transformed into the image of God. We are being transformed into the image of God. You know, Paul will speak more about this in chapter 8 when we get there. But here we get like a sneak preview. And here we see, you know, how it takes place. And that is through suffering. You know, and if you're here today and you're going through hard times, then this is really an encouraging word to you. Because... You know, as we're being transformed into the image of God, which is a really phenomenal thought even in and of itself, we find out how that actually takes place. The Greek word is that word thlepsis, and it refers to particular opposition and persecution in a hostile world. You know, the economy that we're living in right now, the tough times, people are losing their jobs, I mean, left and right, You know, yesterday I heard a news story about a group of students, if I'm not mistaken, over in Kentucky. And what had happened was one of the students' parents had died. 
And so they gathered a group of believers together to pray. But as a result of them praying there on the campus of their high school, the principal called the police and the students were arrested. Arrested for praying. And so we might be here today thinking, oh, what an awful thing. And in one sense, yeah, it is an awful thing. You know, we think of the things that are going on today. I, I don't know if you guys heard the story about the pastor last week. He was shot. You know, someone came in and, and just shot him, came up to him. You know, things are happening. I mean, they think that we are so bad because we call sin, sin. We believe homosexuality is a perversity, things like that. And so basically what I'm sharing, trying to share with you guys is that when you look ahead for the church that doesn't compromise, there is great persecution ahead. There really is. And so we need to be ready. But what does that do to you? Does that uh, strike fear into your heart? Do you think it should be different? I wonder sometimes. Because the church, and you've got to admit, the church that has been living in comfort has been a church of compromise. But it's not until we go through the difficulties in life that we really begin to wake up. We really begin to change. We really begin to even get saved and sanctified. And that's what Paul is sharing right here. Listen, we're being transformed into the image of God. Notice what he says right here. Tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. There's that process that's going on, but the way that it begins right there is through tribulations. Same Greek word Jesus used in John 16, 33. In this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. Those tribulations might not end until you die. That's what Jesus said. And Paul, the apostle, on his first missionary journey, when he was coming back, uh, you know, he was going to visit all the cities that he had ministered to. They were then being persecuted. He says, hey, that's part of this whole thing. We must, he says, through many tribulations. Enter the kingdom of God. You know, I think we're here today and we all want the product to be like him. But a lot of times it's the process that we don't like, huh? I just want to encourage you guys today to remember that you can't have the product without the process. And without the pain, there will be no gain. And so what attitude do you have in settings of sufferings? What do you do in times of tribulation? Well, right here, according to verse 3, notice what it says. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Is that what you do? The hard time that you're going through right now, are you just glorying that? Like the New Living Translation says, are you rejoicing in the hard time that you're going through? Well, according to the Bible, that's really what you should be doing. Not that you find pleasure in the pain, but because you know this, that God is working, that the sculptor is sculpting, that the chiseler is chiseling, that the maker is making you more and more into his image. And of all the things you want in life, that's the one thing that you want the most. You see, this is basic Bible doctrine. In settings of suffering... The Bible says we are to glory. Why? Because it's an opportunity to grow. You know, I'm five, seven and a half, man. And I, I wish that I had some type of opportunity to grow, you know, grow. <laughs> Lord, why couldn't I be this taller? You know, maybe I should have 
I don't know, drank more milk or something, or ate my veggies or something, you know. But unfortunately, I ended up this tall. And, you know, some Christians are short, if you know what I mean. (laughs) They need to grow. How are you going to grow? Through the hard times. And when you go through the hard times, how do you respond to it? You see, in looking at this, we see that tribulation brings perseverance, also translated endurance. And endurance brings, it says right here, character. Now, the interesting thing is that the word character, it literally speaks of a proven character. You know, you might look at that guy over there and say, he's a character. That's that's not what I'm talking about right here, man. I'm talking about proven Christ-like character. To where there's no doubt. You're not wondering, man, I wonder where his heart's at. Man, I wonder where she's at. I wonder where he's at. You know, this brother, he is real. Proven, Christ-like character. Tested over time. Evident for all to see. Well, how did he get there? Well, when he went through the hard times, he went to his knees. When he went through the hard times, he rejoiced in the Lord rather than complaining. You see, that's what we see here. James says the same thing. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, it produces patience. 1 Peter 1, 6, 7, same thing. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by the fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, when you go through the hard times, it's like they turn up the heat and then it's revealed who you are. And then hopefully it's refined who you are. And so God right here in looking at this is such a blessing to see how rich we are. Number one, we have peace with God. Number two, we look at this and we see that we stand in the grace of God. And then number three, we see we are being transformed into the glory of God. And that is so beautiful. And you know, one day, just in case you're worried, I want to encourage you with this, that God will finish the work that he began. You know, I, I you know, look at my life sometimes as a Christian and I get, man, Lord, I, I'm not the man I want to be. And then he reminds me, yeah, you're not the man you used to be. You're making progress. But one day, we will have no more sin nature. One day, the Bible says when we're in heaven, we're going to be in that glorified body. And it's so cool. Romans chapter 8 talks about that, that we are predestined to be conformed into the image of Christ. How many of you here just cannot like... Wait for that day. I mean, isn't that going to be so cool? No more sin. No more struggle. No more hard times. You're going to be the perfect you, the perfect Ron, the perfect Greg, the perfect Rich. You're going to be the perfect Henry, the perfect you. Because you are being transformed into the image of God. Such a beautiful, beautiful thought. It happens through suffering. That suffering is our path to glory. It's the only path to glory. It happens in that glory. We find maturity. And God in that draws us to discover his love. Look what it says in verse 5. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You know, all these things kind of build upon each other. We have in looking at this so many things. 
You know, and, and when you go through the hard times in life, it's really the best context in which we become assured of God's love. You know, usually, the way that it works, you guys, unfortunately, tragically, it takes hard times to bring us to our knees and to draw us to God. I'm talking really drawn to God. I'm talking about when you're in so in love with the Lord that you're so passionate about Him. I'm talking about when you're desperate for Him. Unfortunately, it takes the hard times. But in that garden, we can find the love that God has for us. It really is an opportunity for us to discover something. This is really what the, you know, the heart of the message is today that is so important for us to discover, and that is the love of God. You know, we have peace with God in looking at this. We have grace, and we stand in the grace of God, and we're so blessed by that. We look forward to the glory of God, and we are being transformed into the image of God. But number five, as Christians, here's the thing. We can know the love of God. And we see that in verses five through eight. And I think that there are a lot of Christians here who don't know a lot of these things. And there are a lot of Christians, unfortunately, who don't really know how much God is in love with them. And they don't live in that land of the Lord's love. And that's why they're not what they should be. You know, one guy said this, to be sure of the love of his or her parents is almost indispensable to the healthy emotional development of a child. To be sure of the love of a spouse or a friend is marvelously conducive to human fulfillment. But to be sure of God's love brings even richer blessings. It's the major secret of joy Peace, freedom, and confidence. For us to really know that God loves us, that assurance of his love is so vital for our victory. You know, we look at this right here and we see two fundamental ways to know God's love. Number one, God has poured out his love into our hearts. We read that in verse 5, by the Holy Spirit. Again, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You know, it's interesting to note, really, here's the first time in the book of Romans that we really see the work of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but one of the fundamental works of the Holy Spirit is to tell you that message that God loves you. Maybe you're here today and like I read earlier, your parents didn't love you. Maybe you're here today and your spouse does not love you. Maybe you're here today and it seems like your friends do not love you. Well, you know, my heart goes out to you. I wish it wasn't true. But I know sometimes it is. But one thing I know is this, that today, as we sit here today, God loves you. And you know, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you when you became a Christian, that's one of the main messages that he's been trying to communicate to you. You know, again, I was telling my kids, you know, it's so cool when you stop and you slow down in life and you get to have a conversation with the creator who's inside of you. And if you listen real attentively, you know what he's going to be saying? I love you. I love you. That's the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. It's what we call a subjective experience. The Holy Spirit who lives inside of us tells us that God loves us. 
what the Holy Spirit does is to make us deeply and refreshingly aware of God's love. You know, it's kind of interesting. Later in the book of Romans, Paul says that the Holy Spirit tells us, it's an inner witness, that he is our daddy, that we are his children, that he is our papa. And there's not much of a difference between the Holy Spirit communicating that and the Holy Spirit communicating this. Here we see the Bible says that the Holy Spirit distinctly ministers the love of God into our hearts. And right there, just in case you're wondering, it says right there that that love of God has been poured out in our hearts. The word poured out, it means to, to flood. It literally speaks of an outpouring that remains as a permanent flood. You know, that's one way we know about God's love. It's the subjective inner witness of the Holy Spirit that we can know by experience. But the second and probably, you know, just as equally valid way of knowing God's love is what we read next. Because look what it says in verse 6. It says, For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We see, first of all, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's one way to know God's love. But secondly, we see here in verses 6 through 8 that his love has been proven by Christ's death on the cross. And so this complements the message. It completes the message. The subjective experience now has an objective truth. You know, it's interesting. The word uh, demonstrates here in verse 8 it really should be translated proves. Uh, Kenneth Wiest, he's a Greek scholar, and he puts it this way. He said, God is constantly proving his own love toward us. And so today we learn about that love of God. And, you know, what God wants to communicate to us is how his love never fluctuates, how his love never ends. You know, one of the things that I think that we uh, relate to as human beings and we struggle with is what do you do when someone treats you bad? What do you do uh, if someone, you know, hurts you or offends you? Um, A lot of times what we end up doing is we, you know, kind of pull back on our love. We don't love them the way that we should. When someone fails us, We tend not to love them the way that we should because we're sinners. And so what happens when we fail? What happens when you blow it? Then uh, immediately you think, well, then God's love is pulling back too. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God demonstrates his own one-of-a-kind love and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for the ungodly. We saw that in verse 6. Christ died for sinners. We see that in verse 8. Christ died for his enemies. We see that in verse 10. His love for you, no matter what you do, will never, ever fluctuate. And that's so important for us to know. He loves us to the uttermost. He loves us to the guttermost. 
You know, I know for a lot of us here, and I know this, and there's no doubt in my mind that the reason you're struggling is because you don't know how much God loves you. And I wish I could make this be real in your life, but I can't. You've got you to gotta spend time with the Holy Spirit. You've got to study the cross. You've got to just let it sink in, the fact that God loves you. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You know, when it comes to love, how do you know someone really loves you? Just out of curiosity, what would you say? Because they told you and they gave you a nice car, does that mean that they love you? Not necessarily. You see it in their life, huh? You'll see it in their life, especially in the way that they would be giving of themselves you know maybe a nice gift some of you ladies are saying well i'd like it my my husband gave me some nice jewelry i think that's an expression of love some gals like jewelry some gals like clothes some gals like roses you know some of you guys are here thinking i think it would be cool if my wife got me a new fishing pole or whatever it is you know expression of love and yeah you know that shows that you're thinking about them and if it's a very expensive one and a new car you get the hummer whatever it might be you're thinking oh they really love you, don't they? They got you a new Hummer. There is an element of giving that shows our love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? There is an element of giving that shows love. Galatians 2.20, right? For I have been crucified with Christ. No longer I live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When it comes to love, it's definitely expressed in giving, but the primary gift is yourself. That's how you can tell whether or not someone loves you. And God, he gave himself. Huh. Second thing about love that really tests love is this. The worthiness of the recipient. The worthiness of the recipient. Well, I love this guy over here, man, because he's cool and he can take me places. I love this gal over here. Why? Because she's fine. She's beautiful, you know, or whatever it might be. You're thinking that stuff because they're nice to me, right? That's not love. You want to know what real love is? It's when the recipient is unworthy of your love. Do you love them? That's God's love. God says the rain on the just and the unjust. Matthew chapter 5 says, if you want to be perfect like your heavenly father, then you go and you love your enemies. See, the love that God has would be a love that would love the enemies. Now, what Paul's trying to you know, share at this point, aside from teaching us how great God's love is this. Listen, if God loved you when you were his enemy, and if that's the type of love that God has... How much does he love you now that you're his ally? Do you live in the land of love? Do you understand that you dwell in grace land? Do you know the peace of God that you have with him? The war is over. He's your friend now. He's for you, not against you. Do you know that you're being conformed into the image of God and that's why you're going through all the things that you're going through? You see, you put all this together and you just get so blown away on what we read. 
Notice what we read next in verse 9. It says, Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. As Christians, studying today the Bible, we learn, number one, we have peace with God. Number two, we stand in the grace of God. Number three, we look forward to the glory of God. Number four, we are being transformed into the image of God. Number five, we can now enjoy the love of God. And number six, we shall be saved from the wrath of God. Now, this is an interesting thing because what this verse right here, if you look real closely at it, is doing is it's taking you into the future. How many of you guys saw that movie, Back to the Future? I think that was an okay movie. I, I, well, maybe not. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Anyways, it was one of those time machine things. And you go back to the future. You go back to the past. Things like this. That's what this verse is doing. This verse is taking you way to the future. Revelation chapter 20. If you look it up, it's called the Great White Throne Judgment. Where everyone will stand before God that doesn't know the Lord. But you will not stand before him. Because on that day, you will be saved by the death and life of Jesus Christ. That's what we read here in verses 9 and 10. Much more than having now been justified, how? By his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And again, the, the reasoning here is the same. And I don't know if you guys can catch this or not, but the way that it goes is this. If God loved you when you were his enemy, how much more does he love you now that you're his ally? If Jesus Christ was able to do what he did by dying for you, imagine what Jesus Christ will do by living for you. Not only the power of the resurrection, which is then bestowed upon you, but today, the Bible says he ever lives to make intercession for the saints. That he died for us, there's his blood, and he lives for us. And Paul is really trying to communicate this truth from that theological perspective. It's so important for us to understand that we have been saved from the wrath of God. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. As a matter of fact, the Bible says Jesus Christ is our advocate. And it's an awesome thought when you really think that one through. That we are saved by his death and that we are saved by his wrath. Which brings us really to our last point today. And this is a really good place to end. That as Christians, we can, we should rejoice in God. Because look what it says there in verse 11. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We should now rejoice in God. You know, um, I'm, a, I'm a pretty mellow person, man. I don't really show my emotions too much. But man, after studying this study, I was just so happy. 
I was just so blessed. I was like praising God for what he's done for me, you guys. And I know it's early. You guys are the 9 o'clock group. And so usually the 9 o'clock group is a little bit more, you know, I don't know. You're not sleepy. I, I don't know what it is. But usually you're more reserved. You don't laugh at the jokes as much. You know, I don't pay as much, whatever the case may be, you know. But man, you guys, let's rejoice in the fact that we have been reconciled to God. And look at how rich you are. The peace of God, the grace of God, the glory of God, the image of God, the love of God, saved from the wrath of God. Because you were so good? No. Because he is so good. Because he loves you. And I just pray that your life would be lived out loud, yet you would be rejoicing in that. As a matter of fact, I thought, let's close with a few verses that I, I, we could turn to. The first one will be over in Psalm chapter 32, in verse 11. And look what it says right here in Psalm 32, 11. It says, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. I dare you, shout. For joy. <laughs> See, I told you, man. You guys are pretty, you know. Psalm 33, right here. Look what it says in verse 1. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. You know, look over in Isaiah 61. This one is such an awesome verse. Isaiah 61, look what it says in verse 10. It says in verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. I mean, that's exactly what we're reading about today. God has saved us. And so what does he say? I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My God, my soul shall be joyful in him. I mean, that's really where our heart needs to be, you guys. You know, Christians of all people, you guys should have a big smile on your face. You really should, man. You don't want to walk around bummed out. How you doing? And that's like an Eeyore. Doing okay. <laughs> no, we're like springing with salvation and just rejoicing in the Lord. And you might be here today, yeah, but you don't know what I'm going through. And you're right. I don't know what you're going through. And I know there are some of you here that are going through tremendously difficult times. But here I have another scripture for you, if you would. Turn over to Habakkuk chapter 3. Back at chapter 3, page 825. I know you guys can't find it. Habakkuk chapter 3. Look what it says here in verse 17. It says, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. 
and he will make me walk on my high hills. God is doing a work. And through all the difficulties that we are going through, that tribulation, it, it produces perseverance. And that perseverance, character. And that character, hope. And God is going to give you feet like Heinz feet to where you can climb the mountains and you can rejoice in such a great, great salvation. You know, one time the disciples, they came to Jesus and they said, Lord, it's so cool, it's so cool. And this isn't exactly what they said, but something like this, you know. The demons are subject to us in your name. They were so blessed that they had power over demons. And you want to know what the Lord said? Do you guys remember what the Lord said? He said, don't rejoice that you have power over demons. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. And today I want to encourage you guys in that, man. When we begin to look up at the Lord, even in the middle of a storm, we will walk on water. And that's really what God wants for us today. Today, in going through Romans, it's like a spiritual inventory. I'm wondering, is there anything good going on in my life? And then you just go boom, boom, just over and over again. And how blessed we really are, you guys. So I pray you're encouraged. I pray you're challenged. I pray that we today would just rejoice in the Lord our God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you so much, Lord, for what it means to be justified by faith. And Lord, today I pray that we would just uh, be able to take your word, nothing fancy, Lord, about it whatsoever, uh, definitely not packaged in a pretty package, but just true. It's just true regarding your peace, regarding your love, regarding your grace, regarding your work in us, regarding your mercy, regarding your salvation towards us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would take this now and that you would allow us, Lord, to live in light of these things and that, Father, we would just now go forward, Lord, and have truly the joy of the Holy Spirit just overflowing in our lives. Lifting my brothers and sisters here today, I pray, Lord, that you would continue to give them wisdom and all the decisions that need to be made and all the situations that they go through in their life. We pray for our loved ones, Lord, that don't know you. Lord, they can't run from our prayers. And so we pray, Lord, that today you would save each and every one of them and that there would be a revival in the land. We pray and we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand.